This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of the big questions is, what is money? For practical purposes, it exists in a series of uh, heterogeneous databases, very different databases. Do you believe in crypto? Digital currency may be an answer. But it is the highly speculative asset. Uh, I do own Bitcoin. There is no second best. Welcome to the Crypto Curious Podcast, designed to help you navigate the dynamic world of cryptocurrency. This podcast is here for anyone who is interested in crypto at all. Maybe you've already dipped your toe in the water, or maybe you don't know anything at all about it, and this is the very beginning. Crypto Curious is the place to get started as we cover off all the basics that you need to know. But we recommend heading back to the earlier episodes to get your footing. However, if you think you're ready to dive in head first, what an episode to start with. This week is a very special episode. Blake and I were incredibly lucky to speak with Senator Andrew Bragg. So without further ado, let's jump in. I'd like to set the scene because we have some non-Australian listeners of the podcast and I want to give our next guest a great introduction as he's pretty special. Senator Andrew Bragg is a pro-crypto Australian politician who is considered to be one of the more progressive leaders in the Australian Liberal Party. He has become somewhat of a poster boy for crypto as we change the narrative away from only tech heads and criminals towards something that everyday people can use to further their futures, be that through investment or through a career in this booming industry. Senator Bragg has a long track record that shows his understanding and commitment to Australia as a technology and financial leader, understanding that emerging fields such as blockchain technology and crypto create hundreds of thousands of new jobs. Andrew oversaw the Australian Crypto Report, published in October of last year, which was a very hot topic. The report made 12 recommendations intended to tackle key issues relating to the crypto sector. A troubadour for the crypto industry, just last month, Senator Bragg made it to Cointelegraph's top 100 most influential list of 2022. Now, he sat there at number 82 globally, complete with a caricature image that we just know will become an NFT any day now. So we welcome Senator Andrew Bragg. Thanks for joining us today. G'day, Gracie. How are you? Thanks so much for joining us, Andrew. So first of all, it'd be really great just um, to hear a little bit about you and what's your background. Sure. Well, look, I grew up in northern Victoria and I, you know, did normal stuff like played football, went fishing, did all the sort of stuff that country kids do. And then I sort of armed and art about heading off to university and I decided that I'd throw in my job at Big W, which is a, you know, retail store, which I was really quite committed to actually. But I uh, decided I'd head off to uni. Then I ended up working uh, as an auditor at Ernst & Young after I'd finished uni. And I was always a contrarian. I mean, and they didn't like me and I didn't like them. And then um, subsequently I spent a long, long time working in financial regulation, financial services, and then I came into the parliament a couple of years ago. So that's sort of my life story, yeah. So hopefully it gets 
be more interesting from here. Where did crypto come into it along the way then, Andrew? Well, well, I, I mean, I guess I was asked to chair an inquiry into fintech and as I was doing that, we delivered a couple of reports and then my judgment was that we needed to do a big body of work separately on crypto because we didn't have the time in the initial reports. And look, I didn't go into the crypto review, which we did for six months last year, with any preconceived ideas. I mean, I never really thought about it, to be honest. I mean, I wasn't hostile. I wasn't a big, you know, crypto plumper. I just thought it was uh, worth having a good look at. And that's what we did. So I guess in doing so, I formed a view that it is it is positive, it is a good thing, but it needs to be managed. Yeah, well, I think that really covers off on how it was initiated. Um, but h- how has it been received by the public and the industry? Well, I think to start with, I mean, a whole lot of people in Canberra, which is our, our capital, thought I was crazy by talking about this stuff. And they, I guess their view was it's sort of the domain of drug dealers and terrorists and the like. But And then I've had a lot of feedback like, oh, you know, Bitcoin's gone down. How do you feel? I'm like, well, I feel quite good, actually. I mean, it's I'm not interested in the price of any of the coins. I've always been focused on the utility of the technology and how the technology can help us have a country where people can get new choices, have more agency, have more control over their lives. And the reality is that Australia is a country or a nation of oligopolies where you have far too much control vested in the hands of a few. And I I see crypto as an opportunity of breaking that down. But, I mean, to answer your question properly, I mean, I just think that it was a good opportunity to listen to people. We had more than 100 submissions. We did public hearings. We went to to listen to people that haven't been heard from before, which was very good. And, you know, we formed a, a few judgments about how to regulate it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And it's really great to see, you know, the industry grew so quickly so fast. And um, it's really great to see, you know, some attention from the regulatory side, because, you know, when I was working in the industry early on, um, it was a lot of gray area, and we didn't know what was happening. Um, You know, we didn't know where, where everything was going. And I think this certainly is a step in the right direction is helping everybody. We might just go through some of the recommendations and it'd be really great just to hear you know, a little bit more information about them for our listeners. Um, so the first one we'll touch on is you know, the recommendation around a market license. So as we know, um, cryptocurrency exchanges, you know, they're generally not regulated except for Austrac for things like money laundering and to retract your know, counter-terrorism financing. And you know, that creates a lot of gray area for these businesses that are holding, you know, billions of dollars potentially and, and have hundreds of thousands, if not, if not millions of users. So there's, you know, complicated products being developed in this ecosystem, self-executing smart contracts, derivatives, things that have never previously been possible um, and that retail investors or everyday investors haven't had exposure to. And this creates lots of, I think, challenges um, for regulators to respond to. Um, and of course, if it's over-regulated, people might go go abroad. Um, so could you speak to the challenges here um, when, you know, trying to regulate um, cryptocurrency exchanges in such a you know, dynamic dynamic space? Well, you've got 20% of people in Australia that already have some exposure to crypto, so that's a large part of the population, and it is unregulated. And I don't believe that the Austrac regulation, which applies to digital currency exchanges, is very strong. I mean, the committee heard evidence that you could get a DCE in half an hour. Uh, it's a very, very low level of regulation. So the whole point of doing this 
is really to do two things. Firstly, to protect consumers, and secondly, to drive investment onshore and to also to stop investment going offshore because we have a major issue with the capital drain and the brain drain in Australia. And to give an example, I mean, you've seen Independent Reserve, which is a Sydney-based company employing my constituents, having now sought and achieved a Singapore licence. And then you see Cornjar in Melbourne doing the same in the UK. So it's a very real problem for us here in Australia that Australian domiciled companies are moving the domicile offshore. So um, the, the thinking behind having a crypto market license is that there ought to be certainty and protection for consumers, but also providing that certainty for investors. Now, the way that those should be shaped, it will be subject to further treasury consultation, but at a minimum, there'll be a capital requirement, there'll be a fit and proper person test, there'll be you know an auditing obligation, there'll be other governance standards and disclosures that you would expect. Now, I don't think you're going to see the same sort of market license that applies to the ASX. You'll see a cut-down version of that. And it will be important that it's competitive. I don't want to see our crypto market license cost us opportunities for innovation. But I do accept that in this area, there are trade-offs. So what I mean by that is, at the moment, you have 600 DCEs, right? 600 digital currency exchanges. They have an Austrack piece of paper. I mean, I wonder how much that paper is worth. That will go down to maybe 20 or 30. There'll be a massive industry consolidation because of the capital requirement and because of the governance standards. And you know what? That's going to be unpopular with some of the people that are listening to this podcast. But that is a judgment that we're prepared to make because we've decided to cross the Rubicon into regulating these entities. And the same thing goes to the the people who are saying, well, hang on, crypto is a libertarian nirvana. Now, that's all very good, and I'm a bit of a libertarian myself. I get it. But we can't have a situation where you have massive regulatory arbitrage, where you've got huge detailed financial services licensing and regulation schemes, and then you have this thing totally unregulated. So I, I don't want to kill your individualistic zeal. I don't, want to, I don't want to lose any dynamism. I don't want to lose any of that stuff. But we're going to have a baseline level of regulation, which is going to be less than applies to the ASX, and we'll, we'll talk to you about how that will work. And the good news is that on the capital requirement, is, is there'll be a variable component. It won't just be you have to have a, a billion dollars. It'll be you've got to have X dollars, and a large part of that can be variable based on your risk. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And, you know, what's even more interesting is, you know, potentially how things like decentralized exchanges fit into this picture. There was a recommendation about an appropriate regime for custodial and depository services for digital assets at the moment. You know, there's only a few really high quality, big international players like Fireblocks, Curve and and BitGo and amongst others. Um, And it's, you know, they've only really come to prominence over the last two or three years maximum. Um, you know, and there's um, currently no providers here in Australia. Uh, Why do you think that is? And is the market too small? Well, again, we've recommended a custody system and that would have its own governance standards. It could be quite similar to what applies to markets. And I think you'd see Chinese walls between organisations that wanted wanted to do do both, custody and run an exchange. Um, and that'll be a judgment for those 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 businesses and and for the regulator that grants the licenses once we've legislated them. The other option on the table we have here is setting up a custody style bank in Australian law. Now, 
Wyoming has done this, and I think it's been reasonably successful with Avanti and some of these other organisations. We have in recent years, through APRA, which is the prudential regulator, sought a policy which wasn't necessarily a policy of the government, but it was a policy of APRA, which is a bit weird, I know, to try and further the development of neobanks. It hasn't been particularly successful. I don't think we should go down the path of asking APRA to do this. I think the parliament should consider whether we should legislate a cut-down version of a banking licence for custody-only style banks. I think that could also help address the massive problem we have in this country of debanking, where you've seen individuals debanked sometimes up to 90 times in their personal capacity because they've had some engagement with cryptocurrency. And so I'm not into sort of crazy, um, I'm into some crazy things, I'm sure, but I'm not into crazy solutions. Uh, um, and the neobank, sorry, the debanking problem is a real problem in our economy because people with new ideas are finding it hard to get access to banking services and that can make it very hard to stay afloat. So we don't believe in our party that we should force businesses to bank individuals or individual businesses. I mean, that's just not how liberalism works or liberal economics can work. I don't even think the Labor Party believe that and they are into some really crazy things. I mean, maybe they do. You have to ask them. I don't think they have any policies, actually, so good luck with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we need to find liberal solutions here. If we can't get the banks to do the right thing, then we have to legislate a different system, and we're open to doing that. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, and I think, you know, bringing this regulation of, you know, some sort of custody bank for crypto or, you know, that that holds crypto and new regulation around that, it'll certainly help bring things like insurance to the industry because currently it's pretty pretty muddy waters and, you know, consumers really want those types of services, but trying to get an APRA-approved um, insurance provider for your crypto is probably impossible um, right now. Yeah, and, and this, this is the thing, right? I mean, my view is if you build it, they will come. If you build the fundamentals – a certain clean, competitive regulatory system, then the rest will look after itself. The challenge in that scenario is how do you keep up with other jurisdictions and how do you how do you respond to developments over time? And that's why I think in the way that we design this law, and you know, apologies to the lawyers on the podcast, but I'm sure that people don't want to hear the detailed sausage-making of parliamentary legal systems, but the reality is that you would need to have a flexible act of parliament which could allow the minister of the day whoever was in government to make changes along the way um, what we've had in the corporations law which was legislated in 2001 has been way too restrictive and it's been impossible to change um yeah yeah now flexibility is certainly important in you know ever-evolving space and you know, this kind of leads on to our next section about your know, to token mapping. Um, and obviously, there's lots of challenges when uh, mapping new exotic things like NFTs and, you know, strategies, you know, um, in smart contracts and, and wild, wild and wacky things that you find, you know, in DeFi. Um, yeah, how is how, how are regulators meant to keep up with that? You know, it's, it's just challenging for me to keep up with it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny, I'm giving a speech soon about uh, NFTs because I'm opening up a gallery here in Sydney of NFTs, which is quite exciting. And uh, as part of the research for this speech, we've been looking at the potential for particularly Indigenous artists that have had issues with provenance and have had issues with distance 
and it's extremely exciting to see that the these artists will now have the same opportunities as visual artists or uh, sorry of you know recording artists that um, have been afforded to them over decades because of the uh, receiving of royalties. So it is very exciting and very liberating and very democratic, and I think it really does uh, level the playing field for almost any Australian who wants to be. I mean, I have I don't have a creative body in, uh, bone in my body, but for anyone who wants to create some, create something, they'll be able to do that and then be, be remunerated fairly over the over the course of their lifetime. So it is exciting. It will change a lot. The answer to your question, Blake, is the Treasury will need to do a token mapping exercise which sets out a scheme where there are principles set for a few different categories, right? And so you might have currency, property, contractual rights, as three big buckets, right? And that's what you've got. And then if you're a currency, then that drives your tax treatment. If you're a property, that drives your tax treatment because all you really need to know, let's not try and overcomplicate things or try and wreck everything. Like I mean, government is so good at wrecking stuff. Um, but we just want to have simple principles so people know where they stand from a tax and regulatory point of view. And I think that's what token mapping can do. And and this will only be as good as the information we receive back from the industry. So I encourage people to stay stay in touch and to and to make submissions into these processes. Yeah, for sure. No, I think you're right. A principle-based strategy makes perfect sense and creates lots of flexibility while also giving some some guidance to the industry and you know on how to manage these things. All right. So uh, the next one I want to chat about was DAOs. Now, DAOs are a fascinating concept and allow give people a new way to organize themselves on the internet that you know that might have been you know not possible just a, a year or two ago. Obviously, there's no real counterparty um, with a DAO um, and they, as they undertake, you know, doing amazing things. But some of these DAOs are starting to look like investment vehicles or like decentralized funds. You know, my first thoughts are, you know, how, how do you regulate these things and, and what are the ideas around regulating DAOs? Well, it's a good question. I mean, there's a few points of context here, right? Australia has the most exposure to corporate tax in the OECD in that we are heavily reliant upon the receipt of company tax. So if the company tax system is going to be disrupted because of the advent of DAOs, then we have a major major problem and we have a major law reform need. The second point I'd make is there is strong support in the industry for there to be regulation of DAOs. And you might find that we have a law that has model rules for a DAO constitution that gives uh, a requirement for there to be an agent, right, a personal, physical person to be contactable, these sort of things that are that are vested in the law. But the more detail you put in, the more uncompetitive you make the system relative to other jurisdictions. So, But I was surprised when we had a roundtable earlier in January this year. Uh, see, politicians do work in January sometimes. Uh, that there was so much support for, for detail, for, for a detailed law with these sort of design features, as I mentioned before, about key people, auditing standards, code audits, for example. So I think that's good. That makes it much more saleable from our point of view in Canberra that there is support from the industry to have a bit of detail, but I'm conscious that we don't want to make it too too detailed because we, we risk the whole scheme. But as I said, we have to have something because uh, we're, otherwise our tax base is going to be massively dis- disrupted. I jump in here with one on... Um CBDCs, the Central Bank Digital Currencies 
a really fascinating, you know, technology development. And countries like China are embracing private blockchain technology and others are looking into it. So what do you think the future of these CBDCs are and will they replace traditional currency? Well, the Australian dollar is a very strong currency. I think it's the fifth most traded currency in the world. So we don't have the issues they had in El Salvador uh, and we don't, ha- we don't take economic policy lessons from, el- from them. But there are some lessons that fall out of that example where they've used Bitcoin as a um, national tender, I guess. Um, look, we also don't take economic policy lessons from China, but we do need to be – We do need to be. I mean, it's a totally different system. I mean, we have a democracy. They have an autocracy. There's a whole lot of different – they have massive human rights abuses. You know, we have a, a largely, largely fair and safe country for minorities. And – but the point about a CBDC is we need to be prepared for the effective takeover of a large part of the payment system by American big tech companies. And if Apple is going to become a buy now, pay later provider and Google is going to become a bank, uh, we're going to lose a large part of the sort of the economic sovereignty we would have had in the past when, you know, four big banks sort of ran the payment system. So we need to have a proper plan to address that. And you would know that. You can have a discussion about the economic policy benefits of these things, but there is also a rapidly deteriorating strategic environment in which we are living in. And so you can't have these discussions without considering the security environment and the security overlay. Uh, and so Australia is in the unique position of being in the, in the five eyes but also being part of the quad where I think we need to consider how we can work with our allies to ensure that we are protecting our our interests, but also looking after our economic uh, imperatives. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, those that are proponents of, um, you know, central bank digital currencies say that, you know, there's potentially um, substantial efficiencies that can create it in the economy by, you know, having audible, uh, you know, accounts, um, you know, registered on audible blockchains. And then, you know, potentially you could, you could replace auditors with codes and you could audit you know, a company or a bank or, or a, put me out of a job. Yeah, yeah, you could do that in an automated fashion, and obviously, there's lots of benefits. But um, has is there any thoughts around this from you know financial, you know, government or large financial institutions? Because you know, I could suspect that you know many would want to push in this direction. Well, you'd have to ask the large financial institutions that. What I can say to you is, we 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 recommended a treasury review, not an RBA review, because. We need to take the broadest possible view of the Australia's national interests here, okay? And that is more clear than ever that we need to look at not just the economic but also the national security implications of doing something or not doing something. Now, most of the transactions today in Australia will be conducted virtually effectively through a digital transaction. So we already have a digital dollar in that sense. The question is, what else do we need to do to the payment system to ensure that we are availing ourselves of all the opportunities to protect, defend, and advance our interests? Now, I don't want to give you too many talking points on this stuff because I'm not so good at talking points, but um, very hard to script, I think, actually, probably. Um, but the but but the point is that uh, would you so what would an Australian dollar, digital Australian dollar, do that is not doing now? And, you know, would the RBA have a wallet, for example? Um, are we worried about the Chinese wallets in Australia? I mean, there's a large diaspora here, which is a 
terrific part of Sydney. I mean, one of my favourite things about being a senator for New South Wales is all the engagement we get to do with the Chinese Australian community here, um, which is spread you know widely across Sydney uh, and beyond. Uh, and the reality is, a lot of a lot of a lot of these people will be using wallets, the ten cent wallets and the Alibaba wallets and whatever else they are, right? And it's all good. But um, who's able to look through into these, and what does that mean for us? C- certainly fascinating, and it's it's going to be um, it's going to be great to um, watch it evolve. Look, I think we've got a couple of um, broad questions to finish off. But before we leave the report, one last question: If we could get any more information or updates on the Bragg report and how it's actually progressing, so. We delivered the report in October and in December the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, announced that the government would adopt 95% of the recommendations and that's the policy of our government. It's been through the Cabinet, announced by the Treasurer, and that is the policy of Australia. Um, So the Treasury now is hiring people to go and work on these reforms. I think they've already hired 15, 20 people and so people are listening to this and they would like to work at Treasury in Canberra. I highly recommend you do that because we need as much market expertise as possible. One of the problems with having a purpose-built capital in the middle of nowhere is that it's in the middle of nowhere. And that is bad generally for anything which is exposed to business policy. But in this space, we're a long, long way from the market. So at the moment, uh, the Treasury is bringing together some consultation papers on how the market's licences could work, how the custody system could work, and I hope that those will be released before the election. Awesome. Now we look forward. We look forward to seeing it. Just a final question here, and it's just really interesting in a, in a general sense. What you really find um, exciting about the industry, and kind of where you see it um, in you know something like five years' time. Well, I just think that the reason I'm excited about it is because people can get new choices. People can have more agency in their lives, and they're no longer going to be slaves to major institutions. Uh, and that's going to give people more control and more, more happiness. It's also going to create more jobs in our country. So, I mean, I'm a politician. I'm interested in those sort of outcomes. And I think, uh, yes, we need to wear a bit more risk to get there, but, I mean, that's, it's, it's a risk worth taking on. And uh, this, is, this is where the world is going. And if we're not prepared, we'll be massively disrupted as a nation of oligopolies. So we have to, we have to get with – we have to have a – a program, and I think we have a good program. I think it's clear, and uh, it's something that I'm happy to have done in my time in Parliament. I don't know, you know, how long I'll be doing this job for, but certainly, insofar as the time that I've had there so far, I think it's been one of the most useful things because it's a product of a huge amount of community engagement. I mean, this is something that people have asked for. We've spoken to a lot of people, um, and so now I'm very keen that we. I'm keen that we make good on our promises. And, of course, this is now up to the Australian people, really, because uh, we have an election due in May and people make a judgment at the ballot box as to who they want to be the government. And if we are re-elected, then this is going to be our plan. And if the Labor Party win the election, then who knows? It could be anything. Awesome. Well, we, yeah, we certainly hope that you know these recommendations come to fruition. It's um, you're certainly going to help our industry mature. And um, yeah, we'd like to thank you for joining us today and, and sharing, you know, giving us a little bit more insight on you know the report and, and what you're thinking. No worries. Great to talk to you. All the best. Bye.
And that was our chat with Senator Bragg. It was great of him to take time out of his busy schedule to talk to us. And I, for one, was really impressed with just how down to earth he was and how much this crypto industry really meant to him. We'd love to hear what you thought of the interview or tell us who you'd like us to interview next. What's exciting you about the industry and what do you think is newsworthy? We love it when you, the members of our crypto curious community, tell us what you think is newsworthy and get in touch. So that email is podcast at getbamboo.io. Remember to follow us on social media as well. And all those details are in the show notes below. Thanks for listening and I hope you'll join us for the next episode. Bye for now. Crypto Curious is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Crypto Curious are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act of 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In a spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Crypto Curious acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.